forward. And so we've been in this series, we're going through Jude. Now Jude, as, as Mike talked about last week, wanted to write this uplifting letter, this encouraging letter, and make you feel good letter, and he just couldn't. He just had to warn them because there are these people who are infiltrating their church. There was an uprising, so to speak, and he was worried about their security, their eternal security. He was worried about destruction and death, not just of their spiritual selves, but of their physical selves. And so he's like, wow, I wanted to write you a good newsletter, but I'm Unfortunately, we got to just get down the brass tacks here and talk about some bad news, which isn't always what we like to hear. We don't really want to hear bad news. Getting feedback's hard enough as it is, and Jude's really bringing some negative feedback here. But he knows that the decision will be the difference between heaven and hell for these people. It's kind of like I was thinking about it this morning. I'm getting over a cold myself, and as I was taking some Tylenol before I got here, I brought the bottle up and put a couple in my hand. And the warning is what it caught me as I put it down. And I thought, well, you know, it's Tylenol. It's, isn't it obvious you take two of these, you take 10 of these, you're going to have problems. But the thing is, it's like, that's what Judah's saying. Judah's saying, there's some warnings. There's some things going on in your community that if we keep going on can be really harmful for you. And so just like we need the warnings on our prescription pills, on the Tylenol, on the ibuprofen, just as we need those warnings to protect us and to guard ourselves from the damages that can be done, we sometimes need to hear some negative or kind of not so great news from a biblical author to protect us spiritually and to keep us from those spiritual unfortunate side effects. And so we're going to go to uh, Jude 5 today. The verse 5. And so if you want to use the Blue Bible, you can. Bible app, you can highlight, take notes. Definitely encourage you to do that today. The words will be on the screen. And so um, we're getting into the bulk of some of the writing here. Now, just a reminder as you're going there, okay, Jude is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And so if you're a Christian here, he's, he's writing to you. Now, Specifically, he's writing to Jewish Christians. I don't know if many of you say, yes, I have Jewish heritage in, my, in me, but it doesn't matter right now because he's writing to believers. And what we're going to learn a lot about today is about the false teachers, these people who are infiltrating, these people who are leading the uprising within this faith community. We're going to learn about them today. And here's the thing I want to say before we talk about them. When we think of false teachers we're not going to think about who we're talking about today. Oftentimes when we think of false teachers or we think of enemies in the church, we think of those who are very blatantly against the church. They're wearing like a devil mascot with a cardboard sign downtown on State Street saying like God is dead. I mean, that, when we think of enemies of the church, that's who we think about. And that's not at all who Jude is going to talk about today. And so starting with verse 5, we'll go through 7 here. So I want to remind you, Though you already know these things. How many know? Okay, here, I got to pause right away. Would you ever begin this conversation this way with like a spouse? I want to remind you, though you already know. Like all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, like pump the brakes here. This is a, we're about to get a confrontation, okay? Because no, that's not, I'm, I'm letting marriage advice. Don't ever start a conversation with your spouse. I'm reminding you. Though you already know, okay, don't do that. He says that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but he later destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of the authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. And their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. 
Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. So a couple things here, right off the bat, again, we're, we are talking to Christians. This letter is written for Christians. And so when he says, I remind you, I remind you, don't forget, you already know, it's just reemphasizing that, yeah, he is absolutely writing to believers. So if you're a Christian here today, that's great. He's writing to you. But now the second thing is, is that the people he's talking about, the people he's warning this church about, these believers says, hey, watch out, these, there's an uprising and there's false teachers. Well, they seem to know God. They seem to have belonged to a faith community, didn't they? When he compares them to Israel, he compares them to angels. When he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we look at the history of those towns and the connection that they have with Abraham, we're not talking about these guys who are far from God. We're not talking about people who are aggressive enemies of the faith. We're talking about people who are insiders, or they were insiders at one point, but they're not anymore. Let's, let's talk about Israel. Israel, that was God's chosen nation, God's people, and they were held captive in Egypt. They were enslaved, and God brings them out of Egypt and does all of these wonderful miracles, and all of these things happen, and it's all recorded in Exodus, and Exodus is a huge book in the Old Testament. We don't have time to get into that today, but They go out and they're going to the promised land. It wasn't just the rescue that was awesome. It wasn't just that they got out of jail and they were free. It was that God has this big vision, this big dream for where he was taking them. But what does Jude tell us? He reminds us, hey, you remember that not all of them made it? Do you remember that all of those people who were once enslaved in Egypt, that not all of them made it to the promised land? And the reason they didn't make it to the promised land was because they didn't stay faithful? I'm like, wait, maybe that's describing me. Maybe that's my story. Maybe my story was that I didn't grow up in the church, but I grew up kind of around the church. I knew Christians. I knew other believers. Maybe my family was kind of believers, but it wasn't really for me. But I felt enslaved by the situations and the circumstances that surrounded me. And then one day, God did a miracle in my life. God did all of these things. He rescued my marriage. He helped me forgive this person. He helped me heal. And there was this great awakening in me. And all of a sudden, I was free. I made it out of Egypt, just the same way that the Israelites. And then I got into the wilderness and just like the Israelites, just like the Hebrews, when God wasn't doing the powerful miracles every single day of my life, I began to grumble and I began to complain. I was not happy and I was like, just wanted to go back because at least back in Egypt, I knew what I was getting into. At least in Egypt, I knew what was going on. At least back home, I knew what I was getting at home, or with my friends, and they weren't great, and they weren't good, but at least it was predictable. And we forget, we take our eye off the prize, because we're on this journey. We've had, God did that miracle in our lives, and freed us, and we're not slaves anymore, and we're in the wilderness, and we're on this journey, and God says, but wait, that was just the beginning. That miracle, that healing, that awakening, The thing that I revived to life, that was just the first step. And you get out in your steps two, three, four, and things get a little hard or a little difficult or things aren't just happening for you. And then all of a sudden you want to turn around and go back. The best thing is still two or three or four steps ahead of you. And that's what Jude is saying. Hey, watch out for the people in your church. 
who have had the breakthrough moment, but they're not looking ahead anymore. They're looking back. That's the warning Jude has for our church, for believers today, are the ones who are looking back. They say, well, you know, God did that. Well, you know, God used to do that. Well, there was that one time. And they keep telling the testimony of 30 years ago, like God hasn't been doing anything in the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. Like God doesn't have a vision for your future. Like God doesn't have a promised land for you and a better tomorrow. Jude says, watch out for them. That's who. And we say, hmm, maybe he's talking about me. And it's completely possible. That's what makes a message like this. It's weird and it's hard to understand. It's uncomfortable because it's very likely that as we continue talking today, that Jude is kind of nudging you and saying, hey, you might be the one infiltrating the church. You might be the disease. You might be the problem. Because I promise you, nobody ever comes to a church, no one has, gets baptized and is on fire for Jesus, and then in 10 years down the road says, man, I can't wait to be a problem. I can't wait to be a disruption. I can't wait to cause problems in the church. Nobody does that. I was listening to a podcast, and uh, the guy was a professor at Harvard, and he had this statistic that was like a certain percentage of Harvard Business School graduates will go to prison. Like, it happens so often that they actually have a percentage that these guys... And he goes, you know who doesn't think they're going to prison? The guys who are going to grad school at Harvard for business. They don't think they're going to prison. But it happens so often that we actually have a percentage now, a statistic to show you. Why does it happen? It's because they don't guard their hearts. It's because they're not intentional about the decision that they're making every single day. And that's what Jude is 2,000 years ahead of Harvard in the sense of, hey... If you take your eye off this promised land, we're going to head a direction that you don't want to go. You're not just going to take yourself down. You're going to take others down. But here's what I'm going to tell the others. I'm going to tell the others, they just need to get rid of you. Okay, that's kind of what he's getting at, okay? We complain, we grumble, we say it's not fair. And then what do we do? Our hearts go back to Egypt. Our hearts go back to the place that we were, because at least we knew that. The next thing he was talking about, he talked about angels. He said they were created by God. They lived with God in the heavenly places. These were angels. And some of them didn't stick around because they didn't remain under God's authority. In other words, they got prideful. They thought that they knew better, that they could do better, that they didn't need to listen to God anymore. When I think of the angels, I think of people who grew up in churches. That might be you. That might be me. It might be all of us. You grew up in the church and you went to every Bible study and every time the church was open, you were there and you were there, you know, five minutes early and you were the last ones to leave and and you've studied all the scripture that anyone can study and you know everything. And then what naturally happens is just like the angels, you got prideful and judgmental and hypocritical. You became a super saint And what all of a sudden happens is that pride leads to you explaining away why what God says in his word or what God has said in the community doesn't mean what he really means. Oh, I don't need to go to church because I can just read my Bible at home. I don't need a faith community. My faith, I can do it by myself. I'm actually better off by myself. God doesn't really want me to be in a community anyway. He doesn't want me to deal with the drama that comes with the community. It's a lot of hard work, and I work hard, and God knows that I work hard. But it's so plain that God wants us to be a part of a community of faith 
that in our pride and knowing God that we try to explain away, well, God doesn't really want me to give financially. He wants me to be a good steward of my money. He wants me to pay my bills on time, pay my mortgage, but he certainly doesn't really want me to give. And we ignore the fact that like one third of the Bible, one third either directly or indirectly deals with money. No other issue is talked about more in the Bible than finances. But what do we do? We're close to God, we grew up in the church, and we know enough about the Bible to make us dangerous, but not enough to make us helpful, and we start explaining away. And Jude says, yeah, those people are in your church too, and they're going to be a problem. And again, maybe we take a deep breath, we're like, oh, that's me, I grew up in the church, I know a lot about the Bible, and I'm a little prideful sometimes, and I know I can be a little judgmental, and, and when people don't look like me, and I get a little uncomfortable about that, and, we're like, and now Jude's kind of pointing at me and saying that I'm the problem here, but what do we do with that? And he says, well we got to fix that, okay? And then the last one he mentions, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and these are, he's talking about these cities. Now, n- neither of these cities, I don't think, at one point we find out that they are kind of decayed. Like, there's a lot of immorality going around, but we don't know, that we, there's no sense to say that they started that way. I mean, there's no, we don't have a history of Sodom and Gomorrah to say, this is how the city was founded, and this is what happened, boom, boom, boom. And from the day one, it's just this corrupt and sick place. We don't know that. But what we do know is that at one point, it becomes just so decayed and destructive. And maybe that describes you. Growing up, no church. Growing up, you weren't around the church at all. But everything else in life that you chased didn't lead to anything that really made you feel content. Well, if I'm well-liked by my family, if I'm well-liked by my friends, if I'm well-respected, I'll be happy, and then you're not. Well, if I just had more money, or if I just had a promotion, well, and then you're not. Well, if I just had a, a bigger house or a newer car, but then it happens, and then you're not. And you keep chasing all of these things, and you find yourselves just like these cities that Jude is talking about. Just empty, nothing, destroyed, And Judah's saying, watch out for the people in your church who are just coming every Sunday out of routine, out of habit, but their lives are going not left, not right. They're just kind of chasing all of these trivial pursuits. And Jude says, watch them because they're false teachers. Unfaithfulness, pride, and immorality. These are the traits of false teachers. And unfortunately, they're the traits that exist within every single one of us right now today. Some more than others. You might say, man, I really struggle with pride. I really struggle with faith. I really struggle with morality. You might say, I struggle with all three of them. And if you say, I don't struggle with any of them, you struggle with pride. Okay, so that's, (laughs) there we go. I'm trying to make this as easy as it is to understand. And that may not be what you expected to hear this weekend. Because when we think of false teachers, we absolutely think... Can I just be stereotypical? And, and this is filming. And so here's the thing. I tell people I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and this, oh, all those liberals. Man, all those liberals. And I'm like, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. What Jude is saying the problem is, is in this room right here. Okay, so we are the problem, is what Jude is saying. If there's a problem in the church, it's not what's happening at the university. It's not what's happening at the Capitol. It's not what's happening outside of those walls. Jude says the greatest threat for Madison Church, the greatest threat for what's going on in the church, is happening inside the church. That's what Jude's warning is. He says, stop talking about all those people that are out there, and they're far from God, and they're liberal, and they voted for Bernie, or you you know, they have a different stance on Roe v. Wade than you. And Jude says they're not the problem. And every time you focus on them being the problem, you are ignoring the problem because you are the problem. 
well, I don't know, maybe this is why we don't read Jude, right? I mean, like, <laughs> this is, and this is why we don't read Jude. Jude isn't writing to people outside of a faith community. He's not warning the church about those outside of the believers' lives who will lead them far away. He says, watch out for those who are already amongst you. The people out there, God loves them enough to die on a cross for them. He doesn't care about their politics at this moment. The first thing that he cares about is their salvation and what their current life is like right here, right now. And if we're so focused on, well, we need to change this about them and we need to change this about them and we need to change this about them, well, let's just stop. Just stop. Let God work in their lives. Let them have that breakthrough in Egypt. Let them have the, those moments where they can grow up and, and heal inside the church and just be people and just be loved. And let's go from there. Let's not be the problem. And how we do that is by contributing to the solution. We're all guilty of making a hierarchy of sins that we think are better and worse. And usually the ones that we think are tolerable are the ones that we struggle with. And the ones that we uh, think are least tolerable are the ones that we don't struggle with. And so if you don't struggle with pride, you probably think pride is a pretty wicked sin. If you do struggle with pride, you're like, oh, it's not that bad. Pride, you know, it's not. But we all do this. And what, Paul, and, and what Jude is saying is that, hey, if you didn't catch this, he said they all lead to destruction. All of them. The cities, the angels, those Israelites that didn't make it to the promised land. It didn't matter if they took the road of immorality. It didn't matter if they took the road of unfaithfulness. It didn't matter if they took the road of uh, unfaithfulness, pride, or immorality because it all led to destruction. It's all going to the same destination. It's all going to the same place. So if we're sitting around and having these conversations about what's better or worse, we're missing the point. Now, I love what Jude says next because it's really confusing at first and then it's not, okay? Jude 8, in the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams, notice what Jude says, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Jude is like, in case you didn't hear what I just said in the last three verses, they're immoral, they defy authority, and they scoff at supernatural beings. He's spelling it out even more. He says, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand, like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. So this story about Moses' dead body, it's actually not that interesting. So uh, in their oral tradition, there is this book in the Pseudopigrapha, which is like uh, Jewish fairy tales or fables, if you will. There's one called The Assumptions of Moses, okay? It's not scripture, it's not biblical, but it's, it's kind of like extra stories about Moses to kind of make him seem a little bit greater than probably what he was. But it was a big deal to the Jews, okay? Because it's like it contributed to their story. And in this story, the assumptions of Moses, we hear about how uh, the devil was fighting with Michael, kind of fighting with Michael over Moses' body because Moses had killed somebody, right? Moses was a murderer. So the devil said that he had claim over Moses' soul because he was a murderer, and what Michael says is, Lord, rebuke you. Now, here's the thing. Jude isn't saying that that actually happened. 
He's actually making an argument for the people who are in that church who are infiltrating it. Because what they have done is they've put their oral traditions, their church history, above the word of God. And he's using their argument against them. He says, hey, even in their argument, even in their story, when Michael is fighting with the devil about Moses, what does Michael say? Lord rebuke you. He's not immoral. He's not prideful. He does it the right way. And so he's saying, even in your folklore of history, even in this weird kind of story of Moses and the devil, even in your fake story, you get it right, but you're not getting it right now. And we do that too. We absolutely do that too. Our history, how we grow up, what we grow up with, our denomination background, our family's denomination background, where we come in, all of a sudden sometimes we forget what really is the word of God, what really did God say about these things, what's God's opinion, and what did my church say about this. And then oftentimes that that leads us down the road of what Jude is warning us about. And Jude is trying to remember and remind us, Jude says, remember your roots, where you come from. Because the people who are the biggest threat from your, in your church or for your church is in your church. They're not outside the walls, they're inside. So how do we prevent this from happening to us? And I can't emphasize enough, especially today, that we have to read the Bible daily, not just on Sunday, not just to let me read it to you or let whoever's teaching on Sunday read you to you, but to engage God's word, God's written word every single day. Uh, we think that, you know, brushing your teeth every day is good. We think that eating every day is good. We also think reading the Bible every day is good. And um, I would definitely want to challenge you and encourage you that, hey, if you haven't gone like seven days in a row, one week in a row of reading the Bible every single day, like that is a doable, reasonable goal for you to set this week. And so um, if you're tired of hearing me say, read the Bible, that's awesome. That means I'm doing my job really well. I hope that's what it is. But what I hope is that you're doing more than hearing me. I hope that there's a follow through with it. And so several options when it comes to reading the Bible. One, yes, the Bible app has several reading plans. But two, I think another thing you can do is switch the translation you're using. And I know for some of you that sounds like sinning, but that's one of those extra biblical, extra Christian things that we're talking about today, okay? It's one of those things, well, oh, my, growing up in my church, we only used the KJV, or we only used the ESV or the NASB, or we never used the message. Whatever. Stop. That's all extra stuff. That's all the distracting stuff that breeds the pride and the immorality and all of the unfaithfulness. That is Jude saying, ignore that. Get back into the Bible. Use a different translation. The other thing you can do is buy a study Bible. And it's probably a little bit more of an investment on your part because they are a little bit more expensive. You've got to pay for all of those notes that somebody's writing in there. But a study Bible can be a great tool, even if you don't agree with what they're saying, uh, to hear what people are saying about the passages. But the next thing is not just reading the Bible, because sometimes it can become a one-way conversation. You're reading the Bible and you're hearing what you want to hear come out of it. But I definitely think you need to be in those small group communities that we have for most of the year. Um, Small groups are great because it's a hands-on approach to the scripture. So whatever we talked about today is what we talk about in our small groups. And it's not a time for you to show off like how much biblical knowledge and wisdom you have and just how like smart you all are and you went to seminary and all. No, it's not what it's, it's about struggling. 
with I didn't understand this or why this. And it's about coming to grips and it's about arguments and it's about disagreeing because I found, like, at least in my studies of the Bible and Christianity and these things, there's a lot more. Like, the things we agree on are really important, but the things we disagree on, they aren't that important. We should have those disagreements and it makes us better and sharper when we challenge one another to dig in deeper. And so the small group is the lab, It's where we get our hands in there and we get dirty and we try to put into practice. The weekend service, what we're doing right now is kind of like that lecture where it's like we have the information getting thrown at us and we need them both. Because if all we ever do is go to the small group, it again becomes opinion hour. Well, this is just what I think of this passage right now because I haven't thought about the Bible since last Wednesday when I came to small group and I talked about what I thought about that passage last week. And so we need the weekend service because we need the information, the challenge, what we think. We go to our small group and then we challenge one another with it. And I think that as we do this more and more and we start to get momentum, I think a lot of us, we expect these big spiritual moments of like getting out of Egypt and being free and having those big miracles. But really it's one step at a time. And that's how we create the momentum. Because if all you're ever doing is riding the waves, man, God is awesome. And Sunday afternoon and everything is great. Well, I promise you're going to have a hangover on Monday. That's how it's going to happen. And that's no way to live. Jude doesn't want you to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. And so I think that um, on the back of that connection card, definitely check, hey, get a small group. We're starting to collect names for people that we'll put in a small group this fall. Definitely read the Bible this week. Go seven days in a row. Um, this was one of the weirder parts of the, of the letter. We get a little less weird going forward, but there's so much good information in this passage, and there's definitely something for all of us in it. We need to quit looking outside of these walls for who's trying to harm us, and we need to look inside of ourselves and say, wait, how am I harming our community? Because as we go forward with our vision of having 10 campuses, 10 sites in Madison, and we're looking at this downtown location next, Planting a church downtown, we don't need to worry about what's going on outside of those church walls because they're not the enemy. They're not the problem. They're the who we're supposed to reach for God. Okay. But what he's saying is the biggest obstacle to you starting this downtown campus will be the people who sit in the West Campus or who go to the West Campus. And it's not because you're bad people. I'm not beating you up. Okay, please hear me. I'm not beating you up. You're not bad people. But deep down inside of us, we can all contribute or we can all consume. And Judah's saying, don't be consumers. Be contributors. Go above and beyond. Okay, will you guys pray with me?